Hey, Lily, let's try something different this week. Can you guess the movie that this quote came from? Here's the first one. Hi, my name is Werner Brandis. My voice is my passport. Verify me. I literally have no idea what that is. Okay, it's kind of obscure, but it's a great hacker movie called Sneakers with Robert Redford and, and a bunch of other people. Okay, let me give you a, a, a second one. Uh, you didn't have seconds. You had three weeks. The universe was created in a third of that time. Oh, man, this sounds like really familiar, but I still just have no idea. <laughs> that one's uh, the Steve Jobs movie that came out a couple years back. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, one last one. Would you like to play a game? Oh, um, is that one War Games? And also, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> You're totally right. That is War Games. It's just another classic hacker type movie. But uh, I was just thinking about, you know, do you ever wonder why we have so many military terms in business and product? And, you know, normally I really dislike using military terms, but... Today we're talking about OODA loops, and they're just common sense, but they do have a, a military backstory. Yeah, you say it's common, but this was a new one to me, so it's a good thing we got Kosami Manjita to come and chat with us about this. She's the co-founder and CEO of Mason and a serial product-led entrepreneur. And we can skip the rest of the movie quotes and get right to our chat with Kos. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Hi, Kasavi. So nice to have you joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing? Super excited to be here and meet both of you in person, uh, over over video, but in person. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it would be very nice if we were there with you in India, but unfortunately not. not. <laughs> so before we get started on our topic today, it would be great for those who haven't met you or heard of you before, um, if you could give our listeners a quick intro into who you are and your background as well. Super. So I'm Kosambi Manjita. I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO at Mason. And with Mason, we are trying to solve the problem of how do we help, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, founder-led uh, businesses, e-commerce teams actually grow real fast. And, uh, you know, you see it's getting so much easier to kind of get online and set up your online store and, you know, start a business and a brand. But the problem shifting to how do I really grow and continue to grow and become sustainable as a business and stand against big retail, right? And uh, that's that's what we're hoping to solve for. Um, Mason is a growth operating system for uh, e-commerce teams and uh, uh, it helps you grow real fast. And tell us about you. Where, like, where did you start in your career in tech, or maybe it wasn't in tech? And how did you end up being the co-founder and CEO at Mason? 
So I've been in e-commerce tech actually pretty much from the word go. Um, in the early part of my career, I was in IBM Commerce. I was in Atlanta and built out a bunch of your supply chain side of like e-commerce, you know, uh, solutions like your order management, procurement management. And at some point in time, I realized that you know it's going to be much more fun if I move uh, onto the experience side of commerce. Like, how do we really make and I, I literally, I had like 20 tabs open every day, just browsing Amazon and whatnot. Like, what is the next great thing that I'm going to buy? So, so a big, 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 uh, you know, shopper here. And uh, at some point in time, I remember a friend of mine telling me, you know, you're all, you have so many tabs open. You're always thinking about, hey, I, I don't like the experience here. I shop better here. I love this. I don't like this. Why don't you just do that as a living, right? And uh, and so kind of moved on uh, to the experience side of things. Uh, worked at uh, Big Giants, uh, a Walmart subsidiary called Flipkart. Uh, worked in an Alibaba subsidiary. And all of that, you know, pretty much working on the same problem in some form or the other, uh, which is the intersection, I would say, of experience and product. How do you really, like, shift, uh, uh, you know, content and design and all of that and use all that Combine it with data, marry it with data, actually, and and then, you know, package it into great experiences and bring it to consumers, right? Uh, so I did a bunch of that and really loved that sweet spot, like data and creativity coming together. And, uh, and yeah, it, it sort of, uh, you know, continued along the way. At some point, uh, we met my co-founder uh, at Walmart Labs and realized that we both were super excited about helping a lot of people versus just, you know, the top 1% of, of the retail space. And we said, hey, why not just jump out and take all that stuff that we've learned, make it super simple for others to use, for everybody to use and, and you know, power, power the creator economy. Lovely. Thanks, Kaus. So one of the things we're going to talk about today, um, we're going to talk about a couple of things. Um we're going to talk about OODA loops because we had a chat about kind of your experience mm. and uh, and some of the tools that you use in, in your day-to-day work at Mason and, and kind of in product development. And OODA loops came up and this is like completely new to me. I'd never heard of them. I spoke to Randy and he was like, oh yeah, of course, that's bloody, bloody, blah. blah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I obviously need to <laughs> do some more reading, but... Um, we'll talk about that and and then also kind of more around sort of building and scaling a SaaS business. But so before we go into the building and scaling side, let's talk about the OODA loop side. So for those that are like me and have never heard of them, <laughs> what are they and what do you use them for? Yeah, so OODA loop is actually a you know, developed by this military strategist. He's uh, John Boyd. He's he was a colonel in the U.S. Air Force, and UDA stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. And uh, to, to really simplify it, right? Uh, any pilot who's in a dogfight, he can only win by outmaneuvering the opponent. And and even if the opponent is like really skilled, you can be super agile and overcome raw power. So at, at, at the core of it, what Uda speaks about is that anytime you are in a face to face, you know, with with people on the other side, uh, you can uh, observe what they're doing, orient and reorient yourself, decide what to do and actually act on it and sort of keep repeating that cycle. And it really helps you outmaneuver, uh, be agile and and overcome any kind of skills that you might be lacking. Right. And of course, Boyd applied it to 
combat operations, but, uh, uh, you know, military campaigns. But today, contemporary, a lot of uh, people, uh, you know, apply that uh, concept in navigating complexities of business operations and upskilling and education and even in cybersecurity and cyber warfare. So when do you use OODA loops? Is it something that, you know, to start with observe and orienting sounds like a really good thing, but is there a specific time when it becomes yeah. really useful and, and to you? I'm, I'm going to bank on my experience as a founder and, and speak from that perspective. Founder and a product builder, I've built a bunch of zero to one, zero to 10, zero to 100 products. And for a startup or, or while building out a new product, uh, which already has a, a larger or widely adopted incumbents in that space, right? Or, or when you're trying to carve out a niche category, right? Uh, UDA really helps you uh, solve that proverbial problem of how do I really succeed? How do I make it? Um, and uh, when there are companies and products which with much more firepower than you, um, and uh, they have more money, more dollars, more VC funding, more people, more technology, more customers. Uh, UDA can really be applied. This approach can really help you uh, focus on being super agile and overcome the raw power that, you know, uh, folks have on the other side, right? And, uh, and before I dive into like how we use it, I think a great example is Canva. I, I, I think like they're a classic UDA team. Uh, I mean, you know, the whole design process was really dominated by expert for operating tools, right? Like your uh, Adobe Suite or, and stuff like that. And uh, if you hear anecdotes from Melanie uh, about the first few years, it's a great example of how, um, I, I don't know whether they really call it UDA, but, but how we can really apply this whole observe, orient, decide, and act, uh, uh, you know, loop to win in a category, right? Uh, in the early days, they listened a lot uh, to signals from larger companies, how painful it is to actually create not just a yearbook, but even a birthday party invite uh, that you want to just, you know, uh, zip it out. Um, and uh, once they had the first MVP out, uh, they actually released it to their customers and really closely observed their first 100,000, 50,000 users and how they use Canvas. So there was a lot of observation. Uh, they formed really good, solid hypothesis from every phase of, uh, you know, their user's journey, uh, from the activity that uh, the users did with the early versions of Canva uh, and intentions of competitors in the space, right? So this was your orienting in a way. Um, and they made super quick decisions. Uh, they iterated super fast. They shifted focus. I mean, we all know how they started with yearbooks and ended up with Canva today, which is a far cry from, from being a yearbook company, right? And, and they, they repeated the cycle continuously. In fact, I think they really do that even today. And you can see that in the kind of upgrades that they're doing. They're, you know, recently powered videos and GIFs, moved on to now integrating publishing channels into their workflow. I mean, it's, it's just getting more and more powerful. And I think Canva is a great example of when, how UDA can really help uh, you know, teams who don't necessarily have the raw power, but just by leveraging agility, you can really, uh, you know, make a mark, right? I mean, who think that two kids from Perth would make any dent against Adobe, but here we are. <laughs> so, so when you talk, uh, you, you introduced Suda as being something used in the, the, the military and specifically in uh, air combat, and that's really a pilot making split-second decisions and trying to orient themselves and making sure they do the, the right thing. But now you're talking about using it in the context right. of a company and teams. 
How do you use it with the within? Is it an individual tool yeah. or is it a group activity? I think it it starts out being a you know individual or a small team tool in the early days of any uh, startup, especially for us. That's how it all started. Um, uh, when we moved from our previous startup, we were doing something which was more enterprise first, and then we can completely shut it down and started working on Mason. And in the early days, we realized that this is a very Product-led growth motion and very, uh, you know, direct-to-consumer, direct-to-prosumer motion. And in the early days uh, of of how we applied it, uh, was actually by leading it from the founder first and the early product team first approach, which is uh, to answer your question, Randy, like a small individuals or small team. And um, and how you apply it is again observing, you know, customers or non-customers who decide not to use whatever you're doing. Uh, the competitors, the landscape. In our case, it's e-commerce technology. Any shift in dynamics, new policies from government, uh, any decisions taken by giants like Shopify. So constant observation on all these different, uh, you know, uh, pillars, right? Uh, forming hypotheses around these observations, taking weekly, fortnightly, monthly decisions, acting on them, and then looping back again a reaction to your ac- action, right? Like what's what's really happening because we took that decision and we acted on it and then putting that back into our observation. Um, so that's that's how we started. Again, uh, as I mentioned, it was very, very founder-led. It was very, uh, you know, the founding team-led. But as over the last year and a half, uh, we've seen tremendous growth and the team's growing bigger, the product's growing bigger, our customer base is growing bigger. And now it's the interesting, I would say, problem of now applying UDA uh, in the context of team and team decisions. I think it's really interesting. And one of the kind of questions that I had for you before we started the interview was, um, you know, how does this, is this the same as that build, measure, learn cycle? Mm-hmm. But um, I understand that it's now, understand that it's very different because it's much more kind of outward looking, like build, measure, learn seems to be like, that's all about your product and your users. Mm-hmm. And it's quite sort of inward. Whereas the UDA loop sounds like it's much more about the kind of the market and the landscape and other external factors of like how your product or your business fits within um, fits within that and what's going on with it in the broader sense. Um, so do you use kind of like a build, measure, learn cycle mm-hmm. alongside the work that you do for the kind of the OODA loop side of things? And how does that fit in for you? Yeah, yeah. It, it, they're not actually mutually exclusive. I think a large part of whatever you do in UDA, if you're talking about pilot and combats, it's of course they are kind of measuring and learning on the fly. <laughs> it's not like structured data. It's a lot of different inputs that they're processing uh, instantly. Uh, but in the early days, honestly, of a, of a new product or a startup uh, or a new category that you're building, uh, you know, it's very similar. It's it's a very, very similar situation because you don't have 100% transparent information in the early days, right? Uh, in fact, a lot of times you don't even know where to look for those information and insights, right? And and what UDA, uh, you know, powers is essentially with few resources and less information because there's a focus on constant orientation, reorientation and action, you can continue to do that, right? So there's this like, you know, definition of UDA, uh, which is like, it UDA helps you take action quickly, even if information is incomplete. And it powers you, I think, uh, to like immediately uh, respond and change as new information comes uh, comes uh, to you. So definitions aside, I think that's the power of UDA. Right? And it really helps you, even with limited resources, limited information, 
you know, you can take, form your hypothesis, you can act on it. And then as new information comes, you start processing it and you kind of start feeding it back into the loop, right? So it's, it, that's the, I would say the difference between a classic build, measure, learn cycle, uh, you know, or other process in which you are more thinking consistently about, uh, you know, a lot of data, you're learning from your, uh, uh, you know, hypothesis and, and how you implemented it. Uh, but UDA sort of helps you throw a bit of that process out and say that, hey, even if you don't have the right information today, it's okay. You know, you can still take the decision and you can fix it uh, in the next cycle of the loop in a way. Awesome. So is there a difference between where you sit within the company as to which uh, which part of the loop you're involved in necessarily? So, you know, uh, as the co-founder, CEO, you're doing a lot of observing, you're orienting, you're making decisions, but other people might be acting and other people uh, might be closer to the, the action sometimes and seeing things, but they don't mm-hmm. necessarily have the whole picture. How do you bring it all together with, with people and who does what? Yeah, uh, so uh, actually this you know, leads me to like one of the things that I think is a little bit of a disadvantage as you grow and your team grows is that this transmission of transparent information, right? like why did you decide to reorient and what is the decision that you took? And, you know, because as, as you rightly said, different parts of the loop, different folks might actually be involved in it. So keeping everyone aligned uh, across that UDA funnel, I would say, and and uh, uh, and what you've learned, why you're reorienting, this can become a bit of a bottleneck, right? Uh, but uh, I think at the at the core of uh, you know any kind of a PLG team is this uh, something called like what we call like the growth mindset I would say and and uh, and when you when you zoom out and or rather you zoom into the growth mindset like it, it's such a uh, you know it's it's such a commonly used phrase and I always used to wonder what really is a growth mindset like how do you really define it right and the large part of the definition I would say of of a growth mindset is just orienting and acting, right? Like you're constantly, you know, iterating and that can even be a very vague term for people. But when you break it down into saying that, hey, like you're observing data or signals, you're like orienting, which is your hypothesis phase. And then you are taking decisions, you're acting, and then you're observing back uh, the outcomes and metrics that you capture, right? Um, So it, it really becomes a very structured growth mindset approach, uh, actually. So it's much easier uh, to, uh, you know, uh, break the whole process down into different folks and different teams and different people uh, because you know that, you know, what you're doing, which is generally a growth mindset or, uh, you know, measure and build sort of an approach, you're actually breaking it down into there's a lot of data you're observing. you got to decide form your hypothesis you got to you know take some decisions you got to act on it so it's it on one side it, the transmission of information can get a little bit of uh, you know difficult especially with remote uh, to keep everybody on the same page but actually breaking the activities down into different units gets much easier and more constructive that way because it's it's very clear right and and at different parts of that engine uh, you have different tools that you use and you implement right and you need different skills um uh, and and it actually becomes easier to operate in a growth mindset and constantly grow in plg uh, impact funnel velocity if you uh, actually implement like a ob- observe orient and uh, decide an act sort of a team framework
If 2022 is the year you're looking to advance your career, expand your network, get inspired, and bring the best products to market, then join Mind the Product for their next conference this May. At MTPCon San Francisco plus Americas, you'll soak up invaluable insights from an epic lineup of the best in products, covering a range of topics that will challenge and inspire you to step up as a product manager. You've got the option to go fully digital for both days or get the best of both worlds with a hybrid ticket, digital on day one and in person at the SF Jazz in San Francisco on day two. I was at the most recent edition of this event in London last year, and it was just awesome. Get tickets now at mindtheproduct.com. And that leads us nicely into the second part of the topic, which is all about growing uh, your business and how you took on that product-led growth model at Mason. So presumably it was part of your OODA loops process that led you to make a decision. I think you moved from enterprise, like you said, into more of a a kind of B2B, SMB um, market. So what was it that you were observing and how did you make that transition into more of a a, a different market and a a product-led growth model? I'd be literally, uh, you know, uh, 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 stitching a story together if I say that we came across Udaloop and then we decided... (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I think a lot of these decisions are, uh, you know, in retrospect, it fits frameworks and models and uh, models. But uh, sometimes when you're in the middle of uh, things, you you actually are taking a lot of intuitive decisions. Uh, but uh, I think at yeah. the fundamental at the core of it, uh, the previous startup that we had uh, was, uh, again, uh, you know, very uh, enterprise first um, and you know, selling to buyer, uh, buyers versus users, right? But the and of course, it meant longer cycles, heavy customizations from day one, and so on. But the founding team, um, and not just me and my co-founder, but the early engineers and the early product team, were very product first. And and I think product first usually translates into user first, right? So so there was this whole uh, very user and customer centric approach and mindset. And so the speed at which we wanted to run, we wanted to iterate by listening to our users. Um, uh, and uh, our USP, our superpowers were all product, product experience, product funnels. Um, so it, it was a very, uh, uh, it was, a, I think, a more um, a fundamental realization that as a team, we can operate so much better if we are a PLG first team versus a sales first team from day one, right? Sales, mm-hmm. it's not yeah. something you can exclude from PLG, all marketing, like they are all, eventually all of those all different functions have to come together for a company to succeed. But it's about what is your USP and how you can really utilize it from uh, on in the initial days to really amp up your growth, right? And uh, and so it was more that, uh, that it is more f- founder go-to-market fit, I would say. And, um, and fundamentally, <laughs> we were very excited about, of course, helping a lot of folks versus helping, you know, the top 1% companies. So there was all of that <clears throat> fundamental, I would say, philosophy that came in and uh, it, 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 the transition was, well, it's a new company. So uh, 
for for both of us it was of course a very uh, uh you know clear choice and for the folks who continued along with us uh, it was a natural process um, it was just something we we do better it showed in our growth over last year we were like 20x month on month and it was really incredible uh, but setting up the rest of the team yes it took a little bit of reunderstanding what skills to hire for and that's where i think retrospectively when we started speaking uda and all of that i think some of our skill set and how we hire across the different observatorian decision act sort of you know skill sets that you need uh, that it helped uh, take some of those decisions better um of course we made a bunch of mistakes like we could have done uh, some of the things earlier better later all of that but primarily it was about trying to understand what are the skill sets that are needed for a plg team to really succeed and uh, and really focus on funnel velocity from day one and i think uda probably helped a bit more <laughs> around there but definitely not uh, uh, i'd be lying if i say it was the decision to pivot <laughs> <laughs> What kind of things did you have to do with the team to to make that kind of pivot? What kind of how did you bring them along on yeah, the journey? Yeah, uh, I think uh, a lot of it was again when you are a, in our in a previous startup we were a much smaller team and I think the early team that works along with you it's it's a lot of one-on-one philosophical, you know, vision, all of that that have to sort of align together, right? And I I think it's hard to put that into a framework uh, at least i haven't been able to do that as yet but it's a lot about like bunch of the early engineers that we still work with who are still with us are folks that we work with in walmart or you know in alibaba so these are people that you've worked with you've probably gone through th- stuff together and you know fundamentally that you align on the vision and the space you know that hey we want to power you know the next 1 billion uh, you know makers to actually become sustainable businesses and become independent and great business right so i think fundamentally that that uh, alignment was there it starts from there like are you all excited by the same vision like where you see uh, yourself making an impact and and the second part of it was of course the approach uh, uh, to go to market uh, i think that really it's an under under discussed <laughs> thing when it comes to uh, uh you know uh, anybody talking about startups or product building is like how do you really uh, uh utilize your team's core skills uh to not just build the product but take the product to market and uh, i think there was a lot of alignment there we were very excited by focusing on users from day one we loved speaking to our customers even if they are our non customers hearing from them constantly being very close to them so i think it, the the early team who continue to be with us honestly randy it was like yeah this like no question we we are both al- we are all aligned on the vision we love the space and uh, we know that the way we want to iterate on it and we want to work on it that that whole motion like we are aligned on that now the rest of the team of course i think is a more of um uh, uh, again faster cycles but understanding uh, what motivates a person versus not there for example uh, uh, you know uh, early on a bunch of folks used to tell us hire people plg of course like hire people with growth mindset and i was really fumbling uh, you know interviewing 200 odd people and you're thinking how do you really measure growth mindset right and i think, <laughs> and I think they're probably thinking a bit more structured as in oh yeah yeah you got to you know a lot of growth is about orienting and acting and not just you know hypothesizing and 
you know, like thinking about what to do. So, you know, folks who are, when they talk about what they do or what they want to do, when they are more, uh, you know, when they're pulling out snippets and anecdotes on how they uh, utilized uh, data, how they, uh, you know, utilize customer signals to orient, to act, it, it sort of was a bit softer process there. But I think like right now it, it's it's uh, very interesting because I'm constantly speaking with her and people are like, okay. <laughs> so it's getting to that place where you're like, oh, she really loves John <laughs> <laughs> So I think it's really interesting what you're saying around, you know, when you're starting a business, like I think a lot of people's perceptions of startups is that you start with an idea for a product but actually starting with a market and a vision and a mission and like a problem that you want to solve or like a market that you want to help, I think in a way that can be better because then you do more research to really find out like, how can I help this market? Like what problems are there to solve rather than going in with a, you know, a kind of preconceived idea of um, how you're going to solve those problems. So I, I love that. I love that kind of honest appraisal of like, or, you know, just that approach that you've taken, um, I think is really interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's actually the first version of any product that you're imagining is always the low hanging fruits and will (laughs) change your, uh, you know, assumptions, you will get more signals and data and information and the market will change and you will realign and you will, you will shift. Uh, So it's, it's, now I realize that it's presumptuous to think that like, you know, this is my product idea and this is going to stick. It's, it's a, if you, if you know the pain points, if you know the market, if you know the opportunity and the fundamental trends and you know that you've got a great team with you, you'll, you'll iterate and you'll figure out the product along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And so just, you mentioned earlier, you know, you made some mistakes um, along the way and, well, you know, you don't always want to focus on the negative. It's always really good to reflect on those uh, and kind of understand like what lessons you learned, because that's I think, you know, when you when you make mistakes, that's where you do all of your learning. So tell us about some of those lessons that you did learn along the way. I think the fundamental lesson is about, uh, uh, you know, when, when you think about taking a product, uh, building a product, rather the taking a product to market is is not often spoken in as much obsession as about building like people are just like maker uh, uh you know the whole maker philosophy is so exciting building tinkering these are so exciting but actually taking it out there and uh, um you know seeing how your plan uh, you know uh, uh translates into actually people interacting with it i think there was this saying right like no plan um, uh, survives contact, and and it's it's very similar to that. And I think this is the biggest lesson: is that a lot of times you probably uh, don't even have to have, and we speak about it with no code, etc. Now it's getting so much more widely accepted that you have like very very minimal minimal versions of your products and minimal lovable versions of your product, and you take it out to customers and you you know work with them and stuff like that. But it's underrated how important it is from day one to actually have your signals back looping in really really fast. And uh, I think that it might translate into building a marketing team well in advance uh, than than you might even imagine right um yeah i don't even have 
like a great product like why do i even need to think of marketing but you know what it, from the early days uh, you know evangelizing what your what the pain points are evangelizing the space and and the problems that you want to solve for the, it, because it helps you gain more people who sort of will come to you and say hey like you know i'm facing that problem but i think what you're doing is probably not how i think about solving it i need it this way right so so it really helps um to be out there from day one gathering being very very close to customers people who work with the customers your you know partners of your customers etc to actually get the signals back in from day one right um for us it manifested in like we didn't really set up we are as i said so heavy into product really didn't bother about setting up like a marketing and content engine early on and now i've like we could have done it 6 months before i guess uh, so i think that's in customer marketing like we didn't even really think about that and uh, so we didn't really think of how do you really uh, you know leverage uh, content and uh, you know evangelism and all of that in the funnel too right in your product funnel too um so so i think tactically that's like one really big lesson for me is um uh, how do you really from day one really have a strong process of listening to signals by actively proactively taking it out to market and and speaking to your customers even if it's wrong right the second um big lesson is i think uh, overall for life is uh, uh, leverage the best skill sets that you have early on because in the early days of building a product and a and a company um you have so many new things that you have to learn um you don't want to learn like additional 10 new things right so in our previous startup like sales was not something we've ever done we've all product teams engineering uh but we decided hey like enterprise sales bring it on we'll figure it out along the way but we could have literally uh you know it, it was it was a lot of new things to learn so sometimes it's super important to understand what you are great at and don't be shy to actually leverage that in the early days you can always pick more and better skills you will for sure but it's totally fine to also step back and say these are my these are things that I'm really great at and uh, can I use that to my advantage on uh, in the early days right and I'll figure the other skills out along the way i think for me as a as an individual this is something that i like even to my mentees i keep telling them that you know this is a superpower don't don't be afraid of it like don't be shy about it just use that for now uh and the third would be i think the growth mindset i don't know how to really translate that into actionable uh, uh you know a framework to even apply in hiring or uh speaking to anybody uh, that we uh, you know are looking at joining our team um but yeah now of course you know translating uda and sort of morphing it into how can we leverage like the different uh, parts of the uda engine to actually um really make the whole growth mindset really tangible uh, as a framework i think that that's the third thing okay so tying it all together um You talked about how you pivoted from from enterprise sales to consumer and using UDA to, for it. So but you're mm-hmm. looking for totally different signals when you're doing that. You know, enterprise sales you're relying on the sales team, you're as you said long loops, lots of other things with it. What specific things did you decide? What kind mm-hmm. of testing, what kind of signals do you look for to say, you know, and mm-hmm. it, there's there's signals potentially in the product 
in in the funnel itself, but potentially there's upstream signals just in how were people responding to the marketing changes in the first place. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there are so many frameworks uh, to actually you know th- that are out there. It is several different frameworks that you can utilize to like you know decide on what kind of tests you need to run, prioritize all of that. But then fundamentally, they have two components in common. One is the data. And when I say data, I also mean qualitative data. And people really don't use that enough. I think customers give you a lot of signals in, in your app or even in your you know marketing or top of the funnel. Um, but uh, sometimes it, data is like this crazy horse that you're on. And I think there was this very, very funny story that I read once. Like this guy's on a horse and the horse is like really running really fast. And people are asking him, where, where are you headed? Like you're going so fast. He said, I don't know. The horse is leading me somewhere. So I keep thinking about data being that horse because if you don't have an anchor on actually the real insights from people who are telling you, like it's so easy to watch a hot jar video and just say that, oh, he didn't click on it because he didn't like it. But actually when you speak to people, it might just mm. be that there was a doorbell and I just, or my baby was crying, right? Because this is what literally you're dealing with that, right? So I think if you can't uh, anchor your qualitative data with quantitative data, then you can really go wrong and your whole hypothesis and pillars that you've built out can totally break, right? So I think data back, but speaking to customers constantly, uh, pulling them into conversation loops over time to actually understand uh, and anchor your data in reality. Uh, I think that's like one super important uh, uh, decision-making criteria. And the second is quantifying the impact on on the funnel or part of the funnel, right? Like um, a lot of times, uh, and I, I think for us, it's a lot of young Gen Zs in our team. So uh, constantly is sort of trying to help them with quantifying the impact. Uh, it, it's a lot of times it's more about, hey, I think uh, I've read somewhere that this will have 30% impact, right? Like, But actually, can you dig deeper down and say that, hey, this is a fashion brand and needs X, in the app, but they actually encounter why. And when I introduce this feature, it will be impacting 20% of our total customers who are in this segment. And so, you know, this will translate into this much installs and blah, blah, outcome, right? So actually, again, you know, taking that, observe, observing the data to actually pull out the cohort or the specificity and then trying to quantify it uh, accordingly. Uh, I think these are like two fundamental components you have to use in any decision-making framework to prioritize your, uh, you know, tests. Kosambi, it's been so great talking to you today. We have run out of time. Um, I was going to say Kosambi Boyd. (laughs) Kosambi Vanjita. So uh, it's, but yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming onto the pod and talking to us. Yeah, it was super fun. And thank you for having me. The product experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank. 
regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>